Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody. This is Howard Fox for my co-host, Randy Ford. I would love to welcome you to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are having a fantastic day. Today's guest actually is very special because, you know, I can actually say he's probably the most famous guest I've had on the show so far. And I know you're going to agree with me once we dive right in. So my guest is Andy Cowan. He is a writer, producer, performer, and author. In 2017, Andy received a Who's Who in America Lifetime Achievement Award. In 2018, he published his book, Banging My Head Against the Wall, a comedy writer's guide to seeing stars. This book was published by the Black Rose Publishing and is described as a comedy memoir and Hollywood survival guide. And the foreword of the book was penned by somebody I also think you're going to be familiar with, Jay Leno. So Andy, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Howard. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. So I have to say, and I, I was not being facetious, you truly are the most famous person I, I've interviewed so far. And so thank you for that. It's, it's always good to have first, I think. <laughs> That's the first uh, someone telling me I'm the most famous person. So our, our firsts are canceling each other out. Uh, that's, that's okay. Well, we'll have to top that somehow. <laughs> you know, when I was introduced to you in the book, and I started to dive into this book, Banging My Head Against the Wall, Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars, and it dawned on me is how does someone start off, you know, as a kid growing up in a neighborhood and deciding, you know, I want to be a writer, I want to do, and I want to be an actor, and the stories that go into who you became and where you are today. So, you know, share with our audience just a little bit of background about how you became this writer, producer, performer, and author. And we would love to hear that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, that's one opportunity you get when you write a book. You can uh, look back on your life almost akin to It's a Wonderful Life, and you kind of see the, uh, the thread this led to this led to this, which you're not aware of at the time as you're growing up, because I was a, you know, a nervous kid who wanted to be in with the in crowd. And I was nervous to even say my name uh, uh, when they were taking attendance in class. So to think that I would wind up you know, performing on national television and, and uh, writing on these iconic shows and trying to survive in this jungle out here in LA, it was the farthest thing from my mind at the time. But I think when you, you look back and you, that's why it's important, I think, uh, for kids' parents to nurture that creative first signal they get that kind of ties together, oh, you like doing this, you're good at this, you like this, you're good at this. But just, uh, it's, the key is to, you know, the old cliche, uh, uh, pick yourself up and get right back up again, which is one of the themes in the book as well. No doubt. And, and I am curious, what was kind of the first inkling, uh, perhaps not so much for you, but your parents are like, that. they said, oh, you like this, Andy? You want to continue to do it? Was it, you know, just skits or an instrument? What was that? Well, as a kid, I used to uh, draw and write uh, uh, creative uh, books. As, as young as 10 and 11, I was 
drawing cartoons of, uh, you know, Johnny Carson or whatever and doing my own little creative spins on it. I, I did a neighborhood uh, newspaper as a kid. It, there was one issue <laughs> before it uh, folded, but uh, I did the artwork, the cartoons, the, the headlines. You look back and all the creative projects in, in grammar school, I mean, it, it, it all had a creative bent to it. And I used to uh, do impressions of my teachers and, and, and draw them as well and kind of put it together. And I think my parents realized, well, when I went to grad school, uh, a master's in broadcasting, it was kind of a delayed growth spurt because college, I probably messed around too much as in my liberal arts degree of psychology. And, you know, that was the hippie era and we were just experiencing uh, all other kinds of things besides actual learning. But uh, when I pursued uh, the master's in broadcasting and zeroed in on, okay, some aspect of this crea crazy profession, you know, I got serious about it. And, uh, you know, that was uh, when I was uh, thinking in terms of maybe news, which I started out doing and, and other less crazy pursuits than comedy. But the comedy bug was always uh, biting uh, me. And uh, I finally decided to do stand-up uh, in my uh, mid-20s in Philly. And then, unfortunately, I was hooked. You know, when you were in college and studying the, the broadcasting, I mean, I, the first thing that comes to mind is like news broadcasting, you know, mm -hmm. AM, FM, and, and if you're lucky, you're, you get to read the news or some promotional, you know, that, that's available to you. But mm -hmm. the, that's certainly not as exciting as, you know, the types of entertainment that, that you ultimately ended up doing. And I think that the... the Coming in through the, the comedy realm, doing stand-up, how did that uh, come about? Uh, on the creative side, uh, for that broadcasting degree, you know, I was creating, uh, producing shows with the rudimentary equipment of the time, of the uh, mid-70s. So it wasn't all straight news per se, but that is where I started when I, I figured, well, I guess that my first job should be in news, and I wound up in radio and TV news. But right around that time, and realizing this wasn't really uh, uh, satisfying me, uh, enough. I, the, the mini comedy boom started in Philadelphia. There was one club, Grandma Minis, and I uh, mustered up the courage to go there on an open mic night, nervous as hell. And um, I figured I'd give it one shot. And uh, at least I know I tried. And uh, if I get laughs, uh, it's gravy. And uh, I, did, I did get laughs. If I, if I hadn't gotten laughs, I would have saved a lot of aggravation and not <laughs> maybe continued the uh, crazy pursuit. But yeah, there was something about just doing my own stuff, communicating my point of view, my voice via comedy. It's such a, a liberating experience. Do you happen to remember one of the jokes you, you told during that uh, open mic night? Well, um, I was doing my famous Walter Cronkite impression at the time. Yeah, in fact, this was a, um, this was, um, you know, they used to have the Western edition of the CBS Evening News out here in L.A. It was, a, it was I guess, was another feed. So my, uh, my joke uh, was, uh, this is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. Good evening, I hear you for sure, go for it, wow, surf's up, and that's the way it is. The Western edition of the CBS Evening News. <laughs> <laughs> but I had this weird knack of being able to read anything a la Walter Cronkite. That's how embedded in my brain he was as a kid. And same with the Huntley and Brinkley and well, I wound up doing Mike Wallace in my uh, Cable Ace winning send-up of 60 Minutes called Six Minutes, which is a whole other uh, uh, mini chapter in the book about uh, how I wound up winning the Cable Ace Award. What a David versus Goliath uh, slog that was. So when you 
started with the, then the comedy and how did you then kind of dive into, or I know it's it shared a lot in the book and mm -hmm. we want, we're most definitely going to provide a link back to the book, you know, on Amazon. But I think this, the story of how you got into, you know, the com the comedy writing and, and doing the shows, mm -hmm. how did that, well, uh, I was a, a big fan of the MTM era of sitcoms. Even to this day, I, I watch some of the reruns. And, uh, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Bob Newhart, Phyllis, <laughs> Cloris Leachman's show. Uh, I met with uh, the Charles brothers who were producers on that show, you know, a decade later when I was writing for Cheers. And they told me, oh, you're, you were the one who watched that show. So uh, <laughs> that was their little uh, dig at the uh, the audience for that show. But there was something, you know, MTM was known for smart comedy and nurturing uh, comedy writers. Grant Tinker, who headed it up, speaking sure. of the opposite, one of the big themes in my book, his name evoked the opposite of what his, what his name sounds like. He didn't tinker with the creatives. He was, he was known for championing the freedom of the writers and doing uh, the battles for them with the networks, which that's why, you know, you look at so much uh, programming today and there's so many chiefs and so many, uh, everything's done by committee and they, they, they haven't learned that you let the creatives do their thing, which is the case with Seinfeld. And that's when you get, uh, you know, the magic. But anyway, uh, backtracking, I would write spec scripts for um, Taxi, multiple scripts for Taxi, which got a lot of uh, nice responses short of a, a bite at the time. And um, so I was dividing it between writing spec scripts and um, then dabbling in stand-up back east and then deciding to uh, come out to L.A. Uh, versus New York. That was after I stormed in on Saturday Night Live and arranged a phony meeting with Lauren Michaels, which is told in the book. That's all. That, that was hilarious, by the way, that story. <laughs> oh, boy, was I green and was I hungry and was I gutsy. I, wow. I think I want, as I was reading it, I was thinking that took some uh, – for the sake of better words, cojones. You, you, yeah, you got that right. Unbelievable. Yeah, and then, uh, as I mentioned the book, I ran into him about, oh, uh, 10, 15 years later at a party in L.A., and I walked up to him and I asked him, do you remember a guy who stormed in on you? And, then, and he didn't. So <laughs> whether it happened all the time or not, I don't know. But So getting out to L.A., you know, for our audience, I mean, you're going to listen to the podcast. Hopefully you're going to go out and get a copy of this book. It, it's brilliant. Thank Andy, you. you have been, in some ways, it's like you actually got invited to the party or the you have a seat at the table, so to speak, and you've been around, had conversations with, met, worked for icons of the entertainment industry. And that's yeah, Merv Griffin show. And the uh, last one, to, I interviewed Orson Welles all the time, uh, the day before he died. I performed on the show five times. Yeah, that was my first showbiz job. And... What was it like working with those icons? I mean, what, I mean, it was it. You know, you're still a fresh kid, you know, moving out out west, mm -hmm. and you know, you're you're learning your trade, so to speak. And there's these icons, people that you know we grew up watching on TV back home. Yeah, what was it like to start to work with them, and how'd you? What are you describing in the book that? that well, in the beginning, uh, you know, I was I was nervous because. Uh, I described the Merv Griffin show as showbiz university. It was uh, in the uh, 80s, 81 to 86. I was still in my 20s when I started. And, you know, to, to be eyewitness to all these, uh, as you mentioned, uh, iconic figures in, in all walks of life. And I had to pre-interview them and met up with them. And, 
uh, met with Merv every day and wound up writing his jokes later. And, and then he let me perform five times on the show. So, I mean, to think how nervous I was starting out and, and there's something about being, having, you know, like Woody Allen has said, life is all about showing up. If you show up and you put your feet to the fire, it's amazing the degree to which you can, you know, test yourself and, and, and push yourself onward. Uh, it's just uh, anticipating things sometimes uh, that is the most nerve wracking. When you get into the situation, you instinctively try to make the very best of it. And that's, that's what I tried to do. You know, it, something I liked in the book is you were describing the difference between working on Mer Griffin, appearing, with, appearing on his show as a guest versus, say, Johnny Carson, who was the, you know, the, the, the other side of the, the coin. Is Merv was very nurturing, and you know, you, maybe if you had, things didn't go as well as you might have hoped, you, know, you pull up your, uh, your adult pants and you get an opportunity to come on again, whereas with Johnny Carson, if you didn't make it, you didn't make it. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, Jay Leno talks about that in the foreword, um, that it's uh, as much as uh, Carson gets uh, kudos for uh, – you know, launching uh, so many comics careers. Uh, Merv was uh, very nurturing and uh, supportive in terms of getting new uh, people on the show and, and also how it wasn't, as, as you say, an intense uh, environment. It was more of a laid back party. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll do it again. That kind of thing. Gotcha. You know, so going from this type of uh, entertainment environment, I mean, in the book, I mean, it's very clear you, you have been a part of some of the most iconic shows on television. The, uh, what have we got? Cheers, Seinfeld, Third Rock from the Sun. I mean, this is what I grew up, when I had a TV, by the way, I have a TV, but I haven't put it on probably in a year. Uh -huh. I don't watch it anymore. Oh, you sound like a millennial. I, yeah, That's, that could be a good thing. Yeah. But these shows are just, I mean, the Scenes from the show were, you know, uh, episodes, we, they're just, they stick with us. And so how did that entering into that type of environment, that kind of writing, how did that evolve for you? As I continued to uh, write spec scripts and uh, I wound up writing a, you know, the more you do, the more you can do. That's an old adage. And I was working at the Merv Griffin show and um, I had a writing partner at the time who worked there, and we wound up writing a spec script for Cheers. And at the time, conventional wisdom was, don't write a spec script for a show you're interested in writing for because they're going to be very picky about it. Write, a, write another uh, show episode and let them see it. But we loved Cheers, and we, we wound up writing it. It was during the Shelley Long era. And then six months later, we even got it through a, a friend who posed as a lawyer. I forget whether he actually went to law school, but we didn't even have an agent at the time. And lo and behold, six months later, we hear from him very casually that, oh, they liked your script or whatever. What? I mean, why didn't you tell us whatever? And uh, David Angel, who was um, one of the principals at the time, uh, really uh, a wonderful gentleman, great writer, tragically one of the earliest casualties uh, on 9-11 uh, in the first plane coming into LA for the Emmys, gave us a break and uh, brought us in. And we wound up writing three Shelley Long era episodes of Cheers. And uh, one of the jokes that I, I, I always uh, prized, it, it survived from the outline to the first draft, to the table draft, to the filming 
uh, was when um, this was the Cape Cod when Sam is bragging to Diane about this date he's going to have uh, at the Cape. He said, uh, "Yeah, I can just picture me eating some of that fish head soup." And Diane goes, "Bouillabaisse," and Sam goes, "No, I mean it." They loved that show, and they, and of course they delivered it great. But to see that show filmed on its feet and the majesty of those four cameras moving on that iconic set and being introduced by the famous Jim Burroughs, who was directing and one of the uh, co-creators. Ah, oh, what a thrill. There's so many anecdotes and stories, you know, from the book. And some of those, those stories, again, are, are stick with us even to today. And, we, you know, we just, you know, whether it's shared on the news, whether it is, it's a, it's a joke that just kind of, it continues to have legs. And mm-hmm. what, what does it feel like just to know the, some of the work, it's still alive today, it's being consumed and appreciated today by a whole new uh, group of, uh, you know, appreciators of art, comedy, sitcom. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's very satisfying to know because uh, especially with Cheers and Seinfeld, um, you know, that people still connect with it. Uh, Generations removed from the original run of it still connect with the show. And as I mentioned in the book, The Opposite, one of my big episodes for Seinfeld, which came from my life, I always used to think I should have done the complete opposite of whatever I've done up till now. Uh, Larry David liked and wound up uh, having George learn from that in that big finale. But the opposite is cited to this day in all walks of life from politics, even somewhat for the rise of Trump. Apologies, by the way, but uh, not to the 42% of you. And I Apologies won't taken, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but um, so it, it is amazing how that notion of mine, even though it changes in the draft, especially, you know, Larry and Jer- Jerry rewrote everybody. And, you know, you learn to develop a thick skin when it comes to that stuff. I mentioned in the book, my tombstone will read, to be rewritten over my dead body. That's perfect. I think it really will. I think that's going to be my tombstone. I'm, it was interesting you just said that, you know, you've got to, be, you've got to have a thick skin. And the, the whole book, I mean, just kind of reading the stories, is you really have to have a, a personal sense of, of power, so to speak, of your own, of your own success orientation. You know, yeah, yeah. Maybe this didn't work out, but you, again, you pull your pants up, you put, the, put your feet in front of them, and you, you go on to fight another battle. And mm-hmm. that's what I get from a lot of this book. I mean, you've persevered. You're, you've been very successful. And, you know, it, it, and I think I suspect that's a lesson, you know, for the folks that are going to consume this book. You know, you're going to have the, the folks like me who love Seinfeld, love Third Rock, love Cheers. But I think for the aspiring writer, the aspiring artist, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from what you've shared in this book. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I I hope they get a sense of uh, the careful uh, crafting of clever comedy. That was always the driving force for me. And uh, they get to see uh, original projects that were developed from the ground up and pitched to the... uh, the buyers and their reactions and my reactions back. And so they can kind of go on that journey with me. And they, there's a whole chapter on cartoons. Uh, I uh, wrote a whole bunch of cartoons uh, for the syndicated uh, strip Bizarro, brilliant artist, Dan Perraro and, and tons of other uh, comics. And so there's a lot of comedy in there, but a lot of uh, lessons about, and you know, it's frustrating to this day, you know, uh, 
there are lots, lots of uh, you know, feasts and famine periods. And uh, you really do have to just uh, draw strength from your inner core and, and believe in what you're doing and, uh, and just uh, look at uh, setbacks as uh, basically temporary snapshots in time. That's, those are very wise words. And something that a lot of our listeners, uh, those who are aspiring leaders, managers themselves, I mean, you can't let the, the immediate circumstance cloud you from whatever your, your desire is. So those very wise words. You know, I'm curious too, in the book, I'm actually excited about this. If you'll indulge, indulge myself and our listeners is there's sure. some episodes in the book of Seinfeld that perhaps didn't make it onto the, the, the screen. And right. I was wondering if you could kind of talk through what some of those are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I had a bunch. I was just in the zone when I was writing for Seinfeld. And, you know, uh, none of these wound up landing on the air for one reason or the other. And even Larry said, I'm sure you realize, I'm sure you think whatever you're doing is as good as what's on the air. And I nodded. So it was a very quirky process, which is uh, what he echoed. But, uh, oh, some of the ones I, I like was, um, were, um, one was, uh, I had a couple stories about looking better by comparison. George will only take dates to movies featuring less good-looking actors. <laughs> why, he <laughs> why he suspects Jerry's latest movie date didn't go that well. You took her to a Tom Cruise movie? Yeah, so what? No wonder she was less enthralled with you. She spends two hours looking at Tom Cruise, and the first guy she looks at after that is you. And what exactly are you driving at? You should always take him to see movie stars less good-looking than you. Less good-looking. That's right until they really get to know you and fall under your spell. Too bad that new Godzilla remake isn't out yet. Godzilla? There's no movie star better looking than Godzilla that's less good looking than me? King Kong. So there, there's a whole, uh, that was a whole story for George. I, I had one for Elaine where um, she only liked the auditory part of the relationship. She's raving about Paul, a new guy in her life none of the others have seen her with. Uh, that's because I don't like being with him. She connects really well with the guy over the phone, but it's never the same in person. He sounds like a Paul, but he looks like a Todd. So she prefers the inside Paul, but not the outside Paul. You know, Elaine wonders why, why she can't just enjoy the audio portion of the relationship, avoiding opportunities to meet up with him in the flesh whenever possible. So that's, that's one for Elaine. But there are tons of them in here. I think people will get a kick out of it. It's almost like a reboot of Seinfeld. I, I love it. And, and, you know, it's interesting too. Is some of these stories is like I can, I can see myself in some of that. It's like you know, looks good on paper, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Annie. In the in the time we have left, and most definitely for our listeners, we're gonna we're going to direct them, you know, to to the book. Oh, and thank you. And by the way, I'm I'm proud to say uh, the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York, home of Lucille Ball, recently acquired the book. Uh, so that was really a kick. Fantastic. And so if, if our listeners want to learn more about you, where would they go to do that besides, obviously, investing in this wonderful book? Well, yeah, they can go uh, Amazon, uh, Banging My Head Against the Wall, A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars. And then my website uh, is uh, net, and they can see uh, lots of uh, 
samples of my work. And um, uh, there's also a way to, to uh, reach out to me via email. Fantastic. You know, and we, you kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago about just kind of the resilience and picking yourself up. But is there a couple in the minute we've got left? Is there, you know, a kind of an insight to go that you would want to share with, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, again, an aspiring artist, writer, podcast host, you know, you know, listener, what would, what would you like to share? What additional piece of insight would you like to share for our audience? Well, uh, in terms of outside influences or, um, you know, if, when they write out your, that epitaph on your tombstone. Oh, right, right. Maybe there's a little byline underneath it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, under the, uh, see, already my tombstone's being rewritten. See, I'm not, it's, my body's not even cold yet. And it's just, I'm just doing my part. (laughs) Well, boy, you know, you really have to be a fighter. You got to keep up the good fight. Uh, You know, there is some school of thought that says, oh, maybe not everybody can pursue their dreams. You know, it's almost uh, likened to the overly rewarded a generation that gets a trophy for everything. Not everybody, I guess, deserves a trophy, some people would say, but I would say, metaphorically speaking, you all deserve a trophy for keeping the fight, keeping your blinders on. Don't uh, let discouragement and other petty jealousies and what other, whatever other you know, neuroses uh, sprinkle into it. And I'm a king of neuroses, by the way. You'll see that in the book. Make you any less proud of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, regardless of what the end result is. So if, if you can, and I, you know, I struggle with this all the time because uh, the, the operative word is no in, in Hollywood. I say in the book, uh, with the Hollywood sign, they should knock down Keep the H, knock down Hollywood, and replace it with hurry up and wait. Because <laughs> that's what this town is all about. But um, if you can just keep your own inner strength and uh, self-pride uh, alive, no matter what you're pursuing, and don't let uh, you know, the others beat you down, you deserve your own trophy, and I hereby bequeath it to you. Fantastic. You know, I'm remiss, Andy. I should have asked and say, like, 45 seconds or less. Mm-hmm. What's going on with you, you right now? I mean, you've got this wonderful book. What's going on right now that you Well, want? it's funny. Um, the book uh, ends in an epilogue on a project that uh, is continuing its life with other forces uh, circling it, other big production companies. It's a, a comedy docuseries therapy project in which I'm the lead. We've, we've had so much interest in this thing. This is the thing I met with David Steinberg about 10 times at his house. I'm no longer with uh, David on this thing, but other big production companies are circling. It just takes forever sometimes to get, you know, into the marketplace. But I'm very uh, optimistic about that. And uh, a podcast pilot I shot, uh, I taped uh, at Westwood One Studios earlier in the year that turned out great, which is an offshoot of two of the chapters in the book, Up and Down Guys, a, a show where I was the down guy. I saw the glass half empty and my partner, a therapist, sees it half full and it's one of the most creatively empowering and funny projects I ever did. And it's now um, out there in the uh, podcast uh, universe in terms of, uh, you know, major people circling it. So, you know, you still keep plodding onward. 
Definitely. Definitely. Well, Andy, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the success insight podcast. Truly appreciate it. Uh, hang on for just a minute while we I'll come right back. We're going to do a quick sign off again. It was a pleasure to uh, get to know you through your work and just th- those nuggets and that you've shared. So we really thank you so much, Howard. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, there you have it. We had Andy Cowan, writer, producer, performer, and author. Uh, his night, his 2018 book, uh, Banging My Head Against the Wall, A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars. Wonderful book. We'll put a link to it on Amazon. You can also check Andy out on his website, www.andycowan.net. There you have it, folks. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Now go out there and have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.